0: This morning I want to continue with our consideration of the strong bonds of Christ's church. And we started several weeks ago by considering the things that unified that first church. We learned from Acts 2 that the members of that first church in Jerusalem had several things in common. Remember, they were called by Christ. They were drawn by the gospel. They were given the Holy Spirit by whom we are sealed. And they publicly declared their union with him through obedience and baptism. And then in addition, we learned from Acts 2.42 the priorities of the first church. Do you remember what they are? The apostles' teaching, fellowship, the breaking of bread or the Lord's Supper, and prayers. And we've considered each of these in the previous weeks. And then we examined the first church in Acts 2.42-47. We also read about the strong bond of the church in verse 44. And you recall it said, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. As you recall, this was before there was any strife in the church that later broke out. And we know that sometimes these strong bonds can be affected and they can even be broken because sin rears its ugly head, even among those who are the most spiritual people. And we say or we do things that hurt or offend one another. Sometimes what we say or do, we do inadvertently. But other times, we do so intentionally. And when this happens, feelings are hurt. Fellowship is strained, and then fellowship is avoided. Now, the last time we examined Jesus' command for, to forgive, we looked at um, different aspects. When we practice forgiveness, we mend those tattered and sometimes torn bonds. And when we forgive one another, our bonds are actually strengthened. See, we become aware that the power of Christ can overcome anything, even hurt and offense. And the world around us becomes aware that in Christ there is true forgiveness, not like that practiced by others in the world, not by that practiced by those who are not saved. Last time we looked at what forgiveness is. And why we forgive. And this week I want to take up where we left off. I want to continue looking at why we forgive. And then I want us to consider the way we forgive. Now recall that forgiving doesn't necessarily mean forgetting. You recall the command to forgive and forget is found nowhere in the Bible. And I cited as an example a person who, because of his age or his mental or physical impairment, drove through a stop sign, hitting another car and seriously injuring its occupants. We forgive him, but we don't forget and let him keep driving. We take his license away. We looked at Isaiah 43, 25, where God says, I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. And recall, the text does not actually say that God forgets our sins, but quite differently, he says he will not remember our sins. And you remember this, that to remember something is to act on it. And we cited Genesis 8-1, where God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the flood. And in Exodus 2-24, when God looked down on Israel, Israel was being oppressed by Egypt, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob and in both cases he took action for the benefit of those he remembered he caused a wind to blow over the earth and drying it up so that the ark came to rest on solid ground he raised up Moses to be a deliverer for the Egyptians there are many other verses that talk about God remembering people and we cited those last time now when it says that God will not remember your sins you can be assured that God will not act on them. Recall that He already has. And Jesus died on the cross to pay for your sins. And we learned that if forgiving is not forgetting, it must be something else. And for that, we looked into Matthew 18 21 through 35. And we read about the unforgiving servant. You remember him, his master called him to pay a debt. He owed 10,000 talents. He begged forgiveness, and this was granted. But then when he went to collect a debt from a fellow servant, a debt of only 100 denarii, despite having been forgiven himself, the unforgiving servant threw his fellow servant into prison. And you know that his fellow servants were grieved about this, and they reported it. And when the master found out, he was angry. And he threw the unforgiving servant into prison, where he would be tortured until he learned his lesson. Recall that we said when we forgive someone, we release them from a debt to us. To not forgive is to hold that person in debt. And rather, to forgive is to release him from that debt. And then we looked at why we forgive. First, we forgive because we have been forgiven. And this is the lesson the unforgiving servant did not learn. In Jesus, we have been forgiven for all of our sins, not just one, but all of our sins. And our debt is canceled. And so we asked, how, if we have been forgiven for so much, can we not forgive someone else for so little? We've been forgiven for all of our sins. How can we not forgive him for just one of his? And I want to continue now with this topic. And like I said, then we will look at the way we forgive. So our first point this morning is, why do we forgive? Why do we forgive? Well, first we said we forgive because we are forgiven. But we also forgive because the unity of the church is at stake. The unity of the church is at stake. Please turn with me to Ephesians 4. We're going to look at verses 25 through 32. Ephesians 4, 25 through 32. Follow along as I, as I read. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, Tenderhearted, FORGIVING ONE ANOTHER, AS GOD IN CHRIST FORGAVE YOU. Now, Pastor Ron has been preaching from Ephesians, and he preached part of this section just last week, and I'm not going to go over everything that he, he preached, but rather I want to look specifically at applications of forgiveness within the context of this particular passage. And it fit nicely because Ron and I, as we planned out the sermons these past few weeks, um, it just, it, it fits so well because I said I wanted to concentrate on forgiveness and that wasn't the, the, the focus that he had. So I want to go back and look at some of this, but in the focus of forgiveness. As Pastor Ron taught us, this text tells us how we are to treat one another in the body of Christ. It's addressed to the Ephesian Christians, how we are to treat one another. And in verse 25, it says, put away falsehood. And Ron talked about this a few weeks ago. Don't lie to one another. Don't lie to one another. Well, one of the ways that we lie to one another is to cover up a sin we might have committed against another person. I didn't do that. I don't know what you're talking about. When we lie about something we did, We do not provide the other person the opportunity to forgive. And in essence, we could be suggesting that the other person will not forgive. See, we are attributing a sinful attitude of unforgiveness to that person when we cover up something, when we're not honest, when we don't seek forgiveness. And this means we're judging him. We're saying that you're incapable of forgiveness. And if we're judging him, it means we're not only guilty of the original sin that we committed, but we're now guilty of judging him as well. Something that Jesus told us not to do. And so you thought lying was just a single sin. But you see how things compound. Verse 26 tells us, be angry and do not sin. Now as Pastor Ron pointed out, the passage does not tell us not to be angry. But when we are angry, we are not to sin. When someone does something that offends us, our anger makes it difficult to forgive. And this is one way that our anger does lead to sin. Because we don't want to forgive. And verse 27 gives us the result of sinning while angry we give the devil an opportunity and what's the opportunity to cause us to sin more anger is a stepping stone for so much more and one of the opportunities the devil wants to seize is division in the church he wants us or he wants to destroy our strong bonds of unity Jesus said in Matthew 12, 25, and 26, every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and no city or house divided against itself will stand. Satan loves to cause dissension and division within the church. He knows that division and dissension, they destroy a a church's witness. The anger within a church destroys its testimony. It breeds hostility both inside the church and outside the church. And as long as we don't forgive, we give Satan a playground to exercise all sorts of temptation and sin. Well, then just consider verse 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. Corrupting talk comes from unforgiving hearts. Did you hear what he said? Did you hear what she did? We become entranced by lies and gossip and slander because we want to hear all this stuff. Verse 29 goes on to say that we are to speak only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. To build up others is to encourage them Giving grace to others is to speak in ways that benefit them. Recall that by grace, we have been saved. And we are forgiven by God's grace. And by grace, we forgive. Well, verse 30 tells us not to grieve the Holy Spirit. When we sin, we grieve Him. When we don't forgive, we grieve him. Now, have you ever stopped to consider that while withholding forgiveness causes grief to the other person, withholding forgiveness also causes grief to God? When we withhold forgiveness, we are not only grieving the other person, we are grieving God. And this is the God of your salvation and the God of your own forgiveness. And we remember back to the servant, the unforgiving servant of Matthew 18, who didn't forgive when he had been forgiven. What a grievous offense. Now, verse 31 gives us a list of negative attitudes and actions which grieve the Holy Spirit. Bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, malice. These are all responses of an unforgiving heart. See, they well up inside you. And bitterness is a particular trait of someone who is not saved. Bitterness marks an unbeliever. See, the word here refers to a bitter hatred. And how often do we become and remain bitter over something that someone has said or done? And how this must grieve the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, and yet we're harboring a bitterness, a bitter hatred. He has sealed us for the day of redemption. But when we don't forgive, we act as if this doesn't matter. When we cling to bitterness, we act like someone who is not saved. Wrath and anger stem from having been offended. Wrath denotes a a boiling over, a, a passion. And anger is something that percolates it wells up, it comes up over time. There is within these a desire to punish. When we're wrathful or we have anger, we want to punish. But instead, we're to forgive. The word clamor is used for an an outcry, a wailing accompanying strife, a noise. How much of the cacophony of the noise do we hear when people are offended and there's no forgiveness? Slander is translated from the word blasphemy. And it means to injure someone's good name. When we slander someone, we are causing them injury. And when we talk about them, we talk about what they said or or what they did, we're bringing them harm. So I ask you, how much noise do we make? How much injurious speech do we engage in because we're offended and we do not forgive? See, we talk about someone behind his back. Oh, let me tell you what he did. And sometimes we can couch it, oh, so very carefully. Please pray for me that I can forgive her for doing such and such a thing. Now, it's good to ask others to pray for you, but why do you have to name the offender and the offense if not to cause him harm? Instead, we can ask someone to pray for us to have a forgiving heart without being specific about the other person. We don't need to slander when asking for grace, when asking for prayer. Now, malice, malice carries a sense of wanting to injure someone. In California, the first crime of first-degree murder carries a clause with malice aforethought. It is an intent to injure someone. It is not an accidental thing. It's not rising up out of the passion suddenly, but it is an intent to harm. And this is what malice is. But why do we want to cause injury if we ourselves do not perceive an offense, real or imagined? You see, when we are offended and when we don't forgive, malice arises. But then we look at verse 32. It says, Be kind to one another, tender hearted. Now, this means to be benevolent and to be compassionate. God was both benevolent and compassionate in granting you forgiveness. And when we forgive, we're displaying these same attitudes or these same attributes. The passage also says, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Now here is a command to forgive. And just as kindness and tenderheartedness, forgiveness can be the antithesis of bitterness, of wrath, of anger, of clamor, of slander, and of malice. When we do not forgive, we easily find ourselves committing each of these sins as well. But a spirit of forgiveness can involve so much more than we first think. You see, these sins, bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, and malice, serve to break fellowship among believers. They break the strong bonds of Christ's church. But forgiveness among the brethren is a mark of true fellowship. And forgiveness itself is a strong bond in the church. We forgive because we are forgiven. And we forgive because the unity of the church is at stake. And we forgive because we are commanded to do so. We forgive because we are commanded to do so. We just saw this command in Ephesians 4:32. Now turn with me to Mark 11. And we're going to start with verse 20. We'll be reading verses 20 through 25. Please follow along with me. Mark eleven twenty. 20. As they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. And Jesus answered them, Have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says this If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. In this passage, Jesus is teaching the power of prayer. If you have faith, you can move this mountain if you don't doubt it. But don't overlook the admonition that he gives us in verse 25. And whenever you stand praying... Forgive if you have anything against anyone so that your father also who is in heaven may forgive your trespasses. And recall that last time that our forgiving is not, or our forgiveness, our own forgiveness is not conditional upon our forgiving because that would mean that salvation is not unconditional. It means we have to do something first. It would mean that salvation is something we can earn. If I forgive, I can earn this. It would mean salvation is something we merit because I am such a forgiving person. Therefore, I deserve salvation. And it would mean that salvation is something that God owes us. God, I I forgave. Now you you have to pay me for this. That's not what this passage is teaching. What it refers instead is to the relationship we have with God. Forgiveness affects the relationship we have with God. The issue here is not our salvation. We know that our salvation never has to be repeated. And we know that once saved, always saved. You can't lose your salvation. So what Jesus is talking about here is our daily repentance of sin. And he alluded to this in John chapter 13 when he washed the disciples' feet on the night of the Last Supper. And you recall the the account of that. Jesus, as he was washing feet, Peter said he didn't want Jesus to wash his feet. Lord, you're never going to wash my feet. But Jesus said that unless he washed Peter, Peter would have no share with him. And you recall Peter's response, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Then Jesus said the one who has bathed does not need to wash Except for his feet, but is completely clean. See, so Jesus was telling them that when your sins are forgiven through salvation, they're forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. You've been cleansed. And recall that God says he will not remember our sin. But Jesus has also indicated there is a need for a daily cleansing, a daily confession. A daily repentance. Or our relationship with him is adversely affected. So here in Mark, Jesus is making that same point. Our prayers are affected by our unforgiveness. Our prayers are affected when we don't forgive. See, if we don't forgive, then we're not blameless before God. And if we're not blameless before God, then we cannot count on our prayers being answered. Listen to what the writer of Psalm 66 says. Come and hear all you who fear God, and I will tell what he has done for my soul. I cried to him with my mouth, and high praise was on my tongue. If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But truly, God has listened. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. The psalmist recognizes that when we're harboring sin, when we harbor the sin of unforgiveness, then God does not answer our prayers. He doesn't listen. We need to approach Him having confessed and having repented of our sins daily. Unforgiveness is a sin. And when we harbor or cherish unforgiveness, we are harboring or cherishing sin. Think about that. When we harbor or cherish unforgiveness, when we grasp it, we're harboring or cherishing a sin. And when we hold on to our sins, we are not praying in the right attitude. And God is not listening. Recall that among other things, the believers of the first church devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread or the Lord's Supper, and they devoted themselves to prayers. If prayers is one of the strong bonds of the church, then unforgiveness tears at that fabric of the bond of prayer. Now there are other passages that speak of the command to forgive. One of those William read this morning, Matthew 6, 14 and 15, at the end of the Lord's Prayer. We're told to forgive. Luke 6.37 tells us to forgive. And Colossians 3.13, which is kind of a parallel passage with the Ephesians 4 passage, says the same thing: to forgive. And now I want to turn to our next point. THE WAY WE FORGIVE. THE WAY WE FORGIVE. FIRST, WE ARE TO FORGIVE WHOLEHEARTEDLY. WE ARE TO FORGIVE WHOLEHEARTEDLY. LAST WEEK WE LOOKED AT MATTHEW eighteen twenty one through 35 I WANT TO CONSIDER THE END OF THAT PASSAGE. REMEMBER THE MASTER OF THE FORGIVING SERVANT IS ANGRY AND HE ORDERS HIM TO BE THROWN INTO PRISON WHERE HE WILL BE TORTURED. And then Matthew 18, 35 says, So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Now last time I spoke about the meaning of the imprisonment, But what verse 35 tells us is about the way we are to forgive from our hearts. Now, forgiving from our hearts is more than just an intellectual exercise. Consider your own forgiveness. Paul writes in Romans 10, 9 9 and 10, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. In Proverbs 3, 5, we read that we are to trust God with all of our hearts. Jesus said we're to love God with all of your heart in Matthew 22. Ephesians 6, 6 says that we are to do the will of God from the heart. And 1 Peter 1.22 says, Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. So we are to forgive from our hearts, not just intellectually, and not just begrudgingly, and not just in words, but wholeheartedly from our hearts. Forgiveness in word only, but not from the heart, weakens the bonds of Christ's church. You recall in 2 Corinthians 2, 5 through 11, Paul tells the church in Corinth to forgive and comfort one who has repented of his sin. Otherwise they play into the hands of Satan. And we see division and dissension and discouragement within the church. Well first we are to forgive wholeheartedly and then we are to forgive completely we forgive wholeheartedly and we forgive completely colossians 3:12 and 13 says put on then as God's chosen ones holy and beloved compassionate hearts kindness humility weakness and patience bearing with one another and if one has a complaint against another forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you so you also must forgive. Now consider the phrase, as the Lord has forgiven you. Jesus is the model of forgiveness. what Paul is referring to here. As the Lord has forgiven you. We have a model of forgiveness. See, Jesus' forgiveness is not based on our paying our debt. We have no ability to pay our debt. Now, the Roman Catholic Church requires one to do penance for his sins. He's paying his debt, but that's not what the Bible teaches. See, this becomes a work of forgiveness in light of works. Our forgiveness is based on our works doing penance, and that's not what the Bible teaches. And this forgiveness is not partial It's complete. We are forgiven for all of our sins. The Roman Catholic Church teaches that one that's not holy enough to go to heaven must go to purgatory. He does this after he dies in order to be purified. But this isn't what the Bible teaches either. Theirs is an incomplete forgiveness. Which is why every time you take the Eucharist, you're eating the body and drinking the blood of Christ. Christ is being sacrificed again for your sins. But in the Bible we read, He died once for all. His forgiveness means that He does not remember your sin. He does not take action on it. Action's already been taken. And as you have been forgiven, you also must forgive. If you forgive only after someone has paid his debt, then you're not forgiving as Christ has forgiven you. We're not to seek revenge. We don't seek to even the score. We don't want to make someone pay. Because to do this means that you are assigning them penance. They have to do penance for their sin to you. And if you don't forgive completely... You're not forgiving as Christ has forgiven you. Forgive someone for all he has done against you, not just some of what he's done. And when you don't forgive someone completely, you're assigning him to a state of purgatory where he has to suffer for his sins so that they're all accounted for. But that's not what the Bible teaches If you take action against someone's offense, you're not forgiving as Christ has forgiven you. And to take action appears in various forms. One of the ways we remember someone's sin is to keep bringing it up to him. If you've forgiven someone, don't keep bringing up the sin. And how often are we guilty of this? We use past offenses as ammunition and fights and disagreements. Often we use it as a defense. Me? Well, what about you? You always, and just fill in the blank, we bring it up. We don't bring the sin or the offense up to others. Doing so is is remembering it and taking action. If you have forgiven someone, why do you seek to do him harm by attacking his reputation? That's slander. It's nothing more than backbiting. And if you've forgiven someone completely, you don't bring the sin up to yourself. Otherwise, you stand in danger of being bitter. And bitter tears away at the strong bonds of the church. Don't forget that Satan accuses the brethren. And Satan will love to whisper in your ear. And accuse your brother or sister who has offended you. But James 4, 7 says, resist the devil and he will flee. So don't dwell on it. Don't remind yourself of an offense. Forgive and forgive completely. Complete forgiveness as forgiving as Jesus did and complete forgiveness is a strong bond of Christ's church so first we are to forgive wholeheartedly we are to forgive completely and third we are to forgive repeatedly wholeheartedly completely and repeatedly If we turn back to Matthew 18 Verses 21 and 22, we read the beginning of Jesus' instructions on forgiveness. It says, Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times seven, but seventy times seven. Now Peter thought he was being generous. Seven times for the same offense? I mean, surely there's got to be a limit to this, because this guy's not learning, right? But Jesus didn't call for a limit. And he uses 70 times 7 to mean that we should not keep count. We should just keep forgiving. Otherwise, he would have said, no, I say forgive him 490 times, which would indicate we don't need to forgive on the 491st offense. But does Jesus limit his own forgiveness? Now, I don't know about you, but I'm pretty sure I crossed the 491st mark, not years, but decades ago. And I praise God that he forgives all of my sins. The 491st, the 4,910th, the 491st thousand, he forgives all of our sins. And he forgives all of yours too. Holding just one sin against another, even if it is a sin that occurs repeatedly, means that we have not forgiven. Jesus' forgiveness is unlimited, and so must be ours. We are to forgive repeated sins repeatedly. Forgive repeated sins repeatedly. Well, there's so much that can be learned about forgiveness. And as I said, I could preach many sermons about this. I don't believe we can fully grasp the magnitude of our salvation without grasping the depths of our forgiveness. The more I study, the deeper this topic gets. But perhaps this is foreign to you. Perhaps you're wrestling with forgiveness because you've not been forgiven your sins. If that's the case, I urge you not to waste or not to wrestle another day with this. Seek the forgiveness that comes only from Jesus Christ. It is a complete forgiveness. It is an unlimited forgiveness. True Christians have been forgiven all of their sins. And true Christians forgive others of all of their sins, because forgiveness is a strong bond in Christ's church. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, the depths of forgiveness that you have granted to us, our sins against an infinite God, an eternal God. Father, we know that Until we reach heaven, we will continue to sin. But we know from 1 John 1, 9, that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Father, I pray for all those here that if there is any sin that they are harboring, especially a sin of unforgiveness, that they lay that sin at the foot of the cross, that they confess it, repent, and forgive wholeheartedly father that they forgive completely and that they forgive repeatedly and father help us to keep this on our hearts help us to keep short accounts father not to let bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander and malice wear up or well up father because we refuse to forgive Father, help us to forgive as we have been forgiven in Jesus Christ. Father, may this be in our hearts this week. Father, if there are relationships that need to be mended, Father, help us to mend them. Father, help us not to wait another minute, another hour, another day. Father, help us to forgive. In all this we pray in Jesus' name, amen.